Hi, and welcome to part two of this special double episode of Spirit Chaser, where I'm exploring some of my favorite extreme metal releases, mostly from the mid-90s to early 2000s, a period when I delved deeper into all kinds of metal music and established almost a sort of love relationship with a remarkable number of bands, one which will most certainly last forever. In part one, I covered essentially doom, death and industrial metal, and in this one I'm going to focus more on black metal and bands that are somewhat related to it, plus a thing or two that don't really fit into any sort of category, uh, which is usually a good thing. This one's called The Violent Mist. Opening today's show, none other than the band whose first four albums became the blueprint for Scandinavian black metal and which subsequently pioneered the Viking metal genre. Named after a Hungarian countess who, according to legend, murdered hundreds of young women, in whose blood she then bathed in order to retain her youth, Bathory was the brainchild of the late Thomas Forsberg, better known as Quarton. Blood, Fire, Death, released in 1988, was a kind of transitional album where we can already hear an inkling of the Viking-inspired sounds that Quarton would explore later, but still retains some of the rawness of their earlier black metal days. The two tracks that opened the album, and which we've heard here today, the intro Odin's Ride of a Nordland and The Fine Day to Die, are in my opinion the best album openers of all time, and arguably Bathory's finest moment, in a career full of moments that were incredibly influential to this genre and to heavy metal in general. They were indeed my first contact with black metal, when they were recommended to me by a guy who went to the same university here in Lisbon. Um, this was back in 93, when I started showing an interest for more extreme forms of metal. And he kept telling me, you've got to listen to Bathory, man. This is where it all started and you're going to be blown away. And so I did. I, I bought the two volumes of the Jubileum compilation, which had recently been released. And at first I couldn't make heads or tails of it as tracks went from raw thrash metal to satanic-themed pieces that sounded as if they had literally been recorded in hell, to classically-inspired epics with choirs and lush instrumentation recounting Viking and Nordic tales. It was all very confusing, but at the same time fascinating and certainly rather intriguing. And as I began to make sense of the chronology of their albums and the progression in their sound, the incredible vastness of the scope of Quarton's ambition became clear, and I was in awe of how this essentially one-man project, working in largely primitive conditions in his garage-slash-storage-space-turned-recording studio, came to be seen as one of the most influential acts in extreme metal, and one whose legacy is revered to this day. That was Bathory, and we're going to continue now with the band for which Quarton was a tremendous influence, namely in terms of vocal style. Formed in Switzerland in 1987 by Michael Locher, aka Vorfalak, and his brother Xitras, Samael started as a mostly black metal outfit, but later began incorporating industrial, electronic and more orchestral elements in their sound. Even in their early days, they were very unique in their approach to the genre and, having been signed to Century Media, gave them the opportunity to work with Polish producer Waldemar Sorista and benefit from his trademark polished sound, if you'll excuse the pun. 
Voldemar was also the producer of Tiamat's World Honey, which we heard in part one, and many more well-known and well-regarded releases from that period, uh, namely several albums by our very own Moonspell. In early 94, Samael released their universally acclaimed third album, Ceremony of Opposites, which showed the first signs of their interest in industrial music and stands as one of the greatest black metal albums of all time, even if it sounds quite different from what we normally associate with the genre. Like Entombed's Wolverine Blues, or why not, Slayer's Reign in Blood, Samael packs into Ceremony of Opposites mere 35 minutes a clear and brilliantly executed statement of what they were all about at the time. If only more albums were that concise. Here's Samael with Crown.
that was Samael from Switzerland and a track from their 1994 masterpiece Ceremony of Opposites. I was talking before about that album's briefness and the same could be said about this next one. Clocking in at just 37 minutes, it's another one of those gems, completely devoid of filler, but strangely one that went almost completely under the radar and most people have never heard it or even heard of it. Released in late 2004 with the title Fallout, it is in fact the entire output of a Swedish band called Slumber who play the sort of orchestral doom-death metal, darkly poetic in nature and of uncanny melodic beauty. It's hard to describe an album that seems so perfectly realised and which haunts and entrances you from the first to the very last minute. And whilst at first glance it might seem a little out of place in this episode, I feel its orchestral touches actually make it fit perfectly here and it'll also be a really nice transition to the band that's coming afterwards. So here's Sweden's Slumber with a brilliant opening track of their equally brilliant album Fallout. It's called Rapture.
stunning rapture from Slumber's little-known masterpiece, Fallout. And as orchestral and symphonic extreme metal goes, you'll be hard-pressed to find more dedicated practitioners than Norway's Dimo Borgir, who took their name from a volcanic formation in Iceland, the name of which means dark castles or fortresses. Formed in 1993, the band rose to worldwide acclaim in the late 90s, thanks to a string of incredible albums that began with a seminal and thrown darkness triumphant. As their sound progressed into ever more symphonic and commercially appealing territories though, the expected cries of selling out and being an embarrassment to the self-appointed defenders of black metal's true spirit made themselves loudly heard. But personally, I couldn't care less about any of that crap. If ever there was a genre so fraught with misconceptions and ridiculous pronouncements about what it stands for, it's black metal, and the horrible events it inevitably and forever became associated with are a testament to the dangers of taking art way too seriously as a life philosophy, instead of what it actually is, just art. All this to say that I obviously do not in any way condone the criminal and homophobic acts perpetrated by a few artists linked to the black metal community, but as someone who has always been able to clearly separate the art from the artist, what these cowardly and hateful people did as individuals does not hinder my ability to appreciate their talent as artists. And the pleasure I derive from listening to the result of their work is 100% detached from their political, religious or philosophical leanings. If this is hard for you to understand, well, it's certainly within your right to disagree with my point of view, but then there's really nothing I can possibly say that will convince you that one can enjoy music without subscribing to any of its underlying connotations. And I'm sorry, but all that occurs to me is that if you take that kind of standpoint, you're missing out on a lot of amazing music and art in general. But that's your choice, naturally. So, with that disclaimer out of the way, let's get back to Dimo Borgir and listen to a track from their 1999 release, Spiritual Black Dimensions. This album marked the first time they featured the clean vocals of ICS Vortex, also known for his work with fellow countrymen and avant-garde explorers Arturus. It was a fantastic successor to Enthroned Darkness Triumphant and counts perhaps as my favourite amongst the extensive discography. This is The Insight and the Catharsis from Spiritual Black Dimensions. <laughs>
was the insight and the catharsis from Dimo Borgir's spiritual black dimensions. And we're going to stay in the majestic landscapes of Norway with a band that started out as a prototypical Norwegian black metal outfit in 1991, but soon began incorporating progressive elements in their sound, making them one of the most prolific and creative acts within the genre. They're called Enslaved, and the track that we'll be featuring here today is actually the only entry in this double episode from recent years. I don't know what that says about my choices for these episodes or my views on present-day metal music. It probably just shows how old I am, to be perfectly honest. But the fact is that, apart from a few cherished bands that I keep following very attentively to this day, there isn't much about extreme metal, or metal in general, coming out these days that I find terribly exciting. It feels to me that it became essentially a showmanship contest, and whilst there are incredibly skilled performers, their music is mostly devoid of feeling, to my ears at least. No wonder then that my taste, which was always very eclectic, tended as time went by towards bands that started fusing metal with all sorts of other influences and textures, and I keep going back to the masterpieces of the late 80s and 90s when I feel the need for a literal blast from the past. It's certainly not the case with Enslaved, though, and their album Ritir, a Norsified take on the words rites or rituals, or the rights of man, from 2012, despite being a little overbearing in length, featured a brilliant and monumental track called Roots of the Mountain that perfectly captures the spirit of what I usually look for in this kind of music. So I had no other choice but to include it here. So let's hear Enslaved from Norway and the mighty Roots of the Mountain.
amazing Roots of the Mountain by Norway's Enslaved. It's time now for the second sort of outlier in part two of this special Spirit Chaser double episode, A Violent Mist. And I say outlier because if there's a band that defies categorization, they certainly fit that bill better than most. But hey, they're Scandinavian and have been undeniable masters of a very unique blend of extreme metal for a large part of their career. Plus, they also happen to be one of my favorite bands. So how could I overlook them? From Sweden, the almighty Opeth. They have featured on this show numerous times, but I have consciously avoided their first 10 years before they started transitioning to a less aggressive sound that has more in common with progressive rock nowadays. But make no mistake, I love absolutely everything these guys ever recorded and the breadth of Michael Ackerfeld's writing skills is astounding every step of the way. Whilst their pool of influences has always been very diverse, during those first 10 years, as I said, their sound was characterized by a heavy, mellow dichotomy that was particularly evidenced by Michael's singing style, the harsher side of which has been the source of many prog rockers' eternal struggle to appreciate what in their view were otherwise marvellous compositions. I personally think it's brilliant, and difficult as it is to pick a favourite among such diverse and wonderful releases, their eighth observation, as they call them, is perhaps the epitome of that first half of their career, and stands as one of my favourite progressive metal albums of all time. Released in 2005, it's called Ghost Reveries, and it was, according to Ackerfeld, his attempt to come up with an occult concept piece bordering on black metal, or, in his words, it'd be interesting to see what a mature 31-year-old mind would make of this subject, as opposed to the 16-year-old kid who used to pose in front of his Bathory poster. So, there you have it, the connection with today's show. Let's hear the fabulous opening track from Ghost Reveries. This is Ghost of Perdition.
shelf who told you was the one But open to the rumors that you had to live before you die young
Ghost of Perdition, the stunning opening track from Opeth's Ghost Reveries. As we enter the final stretch of today's show, this is where things will get a little colder, I would say. We're going to revisit three of my favourite bands from the heyday of Scandinavian black metal, none of which truly exists anymore, either because of a decision to not record anything else under that band's name, or because they have stylistically moved away completely from the genre, or, well, in one case, not for the best of reasons, unfortunately. But we'll get there. First up, naturally, the band that truly got me into this dark and strangely seductive realm, and whose four studio albums are unquestionably masterpieces and still for me today the prime example of the genre. They are, of course, Emperor from Norway. The release of their debut album, In the Nightside Eclipse, in '94 
was one of those rare moments when I thought, okay, this is really something new and unexpected, and it fired up my imagination in ways that I never imagined anything would. Amidst the chaos and rawness of it all, there was an imposing overtone hinting at something majestic and at the same time dark and sinister, and best of all, it was incredibly catchy and memorable once you got past that initial barrier. Each of their four albums was a progression towards higher complexity, and they really couldn't have pushed it much further than they did on their last opus, Prometheus, The Discipline of Fire and Demise, which requires perhaps a dozen listens until it feels slightly less impenetrable. But again, once you get past that, it's an incredibly rewarding listen. Vocalist and main composer Isan has subsequently embraced a very well-regarded solo career, which I wholeheartedly recommend you check out as well. Other, mostly past members have been involved in various not-so-well-regarded endeavours, and I won't comment further on that, because, as I said, this is about the music, not the individuals themselves. The track I bring here today would probably not be most people's first choice, but for me it represents the moment I realised that Emperor would become a force very much unlike any other within black metal music and would push it in terms of technique and complexity, and without ever compromising their vision, much further than most bands in this genre were ever willing or daring to. It's the advanced single released just before Anthems to the Welkin at Dusk, their second album, and it's called The Loss and Curse of Reverence. So here's Emperor, circa 1996.
the loss and curse of reverence, the mighty emperor around the time of their second album, Anthems to the Walkin at Dusk. In that same year of 96, when Emperor released the Reverence EP as a teaser for the album that followed, another Norwegian band I had started listening to a year or so before also came out with one of their most important albums and another landmark release in the black metal circle. It was also to be their last in this genre and the band who are still active has strayed far away from that kind of sound ever since. They're called Satyricon, and that was their third release, Nemesis Divina. They started off playing a raw black metal style with a sort of medieval spirit, but with Nemesis Divina they took a giant and near-magical leap in image and musicianship, and the result is a darker, more aggressive and vastly more sophisticated work, which is nowadays considered a classic of the genre, only finding parallel in terms of maturity, perhaps in their fellow countryman Emperor. One of the standout tracks on the album is Mother North, which in the mind of many became a sort of black metal hymn, if ever there was one. The lyrics talk about the rage felt towards those who disrespect nature and abuse it, and it's a welcome change from all the nonsensical, satanic bullshit that's so ubiquitous in black metal lyrics. Here's Satyricon and Mother North from Nemesis Divina.
that was Mother North from Satyricon's amazing third album, Nemesis Divina. And we've reached the end of this two-part journey through some of my most cherished memories from a very prolific and exciting time in extreme metal music. I must confess that I always wanted to do this at some point, uh, even if I would risk alienating many of my listeners, which aren't that many anyway. So yeah, this was my unapologetic incursion into the darker side of my musical universe. If you enjoyed it, that's brilliant. If not, feel free to skip these episodes, obviously. The last entry on today's episode and this whole saga is perhaps the most controversial, but for reasons that have nothing to do with the music itself, which in fact predates the unfortunate events that took place later. Sweden's dissection were a melodic death black metal band who developed their own melancholic and atmospheric style, which combined strong melodies with musical brutality, making use of dual guitar harmonies reminiscent of the new wave of British heavy metal sound. In fact, I saw them once described as what Iron Maiden would sound like if they played black metal, and I've always felt that description to be pretty accurate. As a side note, Dissection's mentor, vocalist and main songwriter Jon Nutvit also happened to be a member of the MLO, the misanthropic Luciferian Order, and his views on life, religion and society were very much influenced by that whole context. In 1997, he was convicted of being an accessory to the murder of an Algerian gay man, for which he spent seven years in prison. In 2006, and after having resurrected the band for a short period of time, Nutvit committed suicide, which also meant the end of the band, of which he had remained the only original member. Those terrible events aside, and I only mentioned them because, once again, I wanted to be clear that I despise them in every possible way, although they do not preclude me from appreciating these individuals' creative output on a purely artistic level. And that's certainly the case here, and Dissection's 1997 release, Storm of the Lightsbane, stands amongst the finest extreme metal albums I've ever heard. It was the winter of 97 when I heard one of its tracks on the radio, and I immediately said to myself, I need to get my hands on this album. And so it happened that I finally managed to buy the CD as a birthday present to myself on December 22nd of that year. It was a grey and cold day, and Storm of the Lightsbane, with its ice-cold atmosphere, brilliant musicianship and irresistible melodies, was the perfect soundtrack to that day and became forever engraved in my mind, to the point that whenever I listen to it, it always brings me back to that particular moment in time and the intense feelings that came with that experience. Now, I do think it's important to listen to it as a whole, to get the sense of its magnificence, but of course I need to pick one track to end this show, so I'm gonna go with the very last one on the album. So, thank you for listening, I really hope you enjoyed these episodes, um, stay safe, and I'll be back soon with another chapter of my musical journey, Spirit Chaser. This is Dissection and Soul Reaper.